Jamie Bacon pleads guilty. This has been a long deliberative process of coming to the right agreement with the Crown. Why the sentence for his rule in the Surrey Six murders doesn't satisfy everyone. A stunning shift in drug enforcement. Being addicted to a controlled substance is not a crime and should not be treated as such. The dramatic change chiefs of police are calling for instead. And racing to fix a critical shortage in the film industry. I'm an adrenaline junkie, so it's super fun. Action. How BC's stunt community is driving more women of color into the film business. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thank you for joining us. It's been more than 12 years since six people were murdered in Surrey's Balmoral Tower in what remains BC's worst ever gang related killing. Finally, today, one of the central figures in that massacre pleaded guilty. But Jamie Bacon only admitted guilt on two lesser charges after reaching a plea deal. Here's Romina Dea. Tears and extreme disappointment in courtroom 55 as Jamie Bacon pleads guilty as part of a plea deal. He pleaded guilty now because he has been cornered. Bacon appearing via video link from jail. The Red Scorpion gangster pleading guilty to one count of conspiracy to commit murder in connection to the death of Corey Lal, Bacon's drug rival. Lal plus three associates were killed in the 2007 Surrey 6 slaughter in a high-rise. Two innocent bystanders also shot execution style. Ed Schellenberg was fixing a fireplace in Unit 1505. And across the hall, 22-year-old Christopher Mohan was leaving his home en route to play basketball. It breaks my heart. It's almost, you know, for 13 years, I mean, this crime came to my doorstep. Bacon also pleading guilty to one count of counseling to commit murder in a separate case from 2008. The jury now discharged the charge in connection to an attempted hit on Bacon's former associate. Crown and defense asking for a concurrent sentence, 18 years on both charges. But Bacon's been in custody since 2009, so he will get credit for time served. He'll have somewhere between five and six years left to serve. What do you say to the public who would look at that and say it's outrageous given two innocent people lost their lives in this? I'd say it's not outrageous. It's a carefully crafted joint submission proposal involving the Crown and the defense. Mohan's mother in complete disagreement with the deal that's been struck. This type of cases emboldens future and present criminals. You can spin the, the, the laws of Canada on your little finger and then just walk away. Ramina Dea joins us live outside the courthouse. Ramina, Bacon had been facing a first-degree murder charge as well. What's happening with that now? Mm-hmm. Well, as a result of the plea deal, Sophie, the first-degree murder charge will be stayed. That was the most serious of the charges. That was also in connection to Lal. Now, sentencing will be July 23rd. That's when the victim's families will have a chance to make victim impact statements in court and have their opportunity to face Bacon on that day. Back to you. I'm sure that'll be an emotional day, Ramina. Thank you. A man has been arrested in connection with a double homicide in Vancouver. The bodies of 72-year-old Dennis Rag and 68-year-old Paul Tonks 
were found Tuesday inside a home in East Vancouver. Police identified a vehicle of interest in the case. It was found yesterday abandoned in a rural part of Chilliwack. That led investigators to a campground in the village of Harrison Hot Springs, where they arrested 43-year-old Joseph Holland, a Vancouver resident. He is now facing two counts of second-degree murder. As he is charged, uh, we are limited on what we can say as these this package and this investigation is with Crown at this time. So I can't give a motive or an idea of why this happened. Uh, that will come out during court. Um, it, this is a very tragic incident. Two people lost their lives in this murder. Uh, family and friends are going to have to be dealing with this. And police officers will be continuing their investigation. Vancouver police say they are not seeking any other suspects. Anyone with information is asked to contact police or Crime Stoppers. A major announcement today by Canadian law enforcement and a potential game changer in the way this country treats drug addiction. Canada's police chiefs are now calling for the decriminalization of the possession of illicit drugs for personal use. Jordan Armstrong has more on what brought them to their historic decision. The bottom line is that addiction issues should best be handled through a healthcare system and not through a criminal justice system. After two years of research and visits to more than 10 countries like Portugal, Norway and New Zealand, Canada's police chiefs are calling for the decriminalization of simple possession of illicit drugs. We have less than two Canadians die per day of homicide, but we have 11 Canadians a day dying of overdose. So it's a significant public safety issue and public health issue. An issue in B.C. for years, but worsening in recent months. In fact, the opioid crisis claimed more victims in May than in any other month in the province's history. The coroner's office has long supported this approach. We're in favor of any efforts that can be made to create access to safer supply in our, in our province and in our country. And we know with illicit drug use that if it's being treated as a, as a criminal issue, it's not effective. Premier John Horgan is echoing his support. Anything that we can do to reduce uh, the, the deaths and to reduce the dependence and to, and to, quite frankly, free up law enforcement to do other things, I support. In Canada, drug policy and shifts in attitude flows west to east. Their national association is now on board, but many B.C. police chiefs have long believed that lower-level enforcement is futile. Abbotsford's chief started out with VPD. For him, the realization came 26 years ago while seizing heroin from a sex trade worker. As I was taking her drugs away, I remember she cried and, and was saying, you know, that she was going to have to go back out in the street to, to support her habit again. And I remember that always stuck with me, even to this day, that I was re-victimizing somebody who really needed, you know, health support. The chiefs want a national task force comprised of the Departments of Justice, Health and Prosecution Service to research drug policy reform. And we're happy to deal with the more serious side of the enforcement, but on the actual addiction piece, that's not for police, that's for healthcare professionals. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Investigators remain on the scene at a fatal fire in downtown Prince George. Three people were found dead inside the O'Connor Lodge on Wednesday morning. Their identities have not been made public. Officials have not said how or where the fire started, only that early observations suggest it was suspicious. So if you have any information or dash cam footage, you're asked to contact police. We often knock on doors and, uh, and go to businesses and such to find that stuff. Um, and in this case, uh, you know, because of the, the nature of it, um, 
you know, we, we want to see what happened leading up to the fire. Investigators are expected to remain on scene for several days, gathering evidence and trying to determine what led to the deaths. Well, calling the past few months extremely challenging, B.C. Premier John Horgan says he's pleased with how the province has responded to the COVID crisis and navigated the gradual restart of the economy. The Premier has also says he's very worried about the out-of-control coronavirus situation in the U.S., while the province grapples with what to do about Americans crossing the border needlessly. Richard Zussman reports. The border may be closed, but Americans and others are still coming through. Just over the last two weeks, restaurants in both Vancouver and Victoria asking diners to leave over concerns they had broken the quarantine rules. So if you knowingly have someone from America in your restaurant and they're not supposed to be here, you don't have much choice for public safety reasons. Visitors from outside Canada must quarantine for 14 days and the restaurant industry is working on clarity on what to do about service where those rules are broken. We're going to endeavour to get a hold of um, Minister Dix and uh, Dr. Henry and come up with a policy because it's not fair to put you know a restaurant worker in that situation and make that judgment call. There are also potential concerns about essential workers who can leave the United States in the morning, work in BC during the day, then go to a restaurant without quarantine. As we have transitioned, we are allowing those essential workers, uh, most of them, to do the same things that we're doing. During his regular weekly press briefing, Premier John Horgan was asked about whether the province would consider measures restricting where Americans can go especially with a surge in cases south of the border. Businesses will make their own choices on how they operate. Although American tourists are largely unwanted in British Columbia over fears of spreading the virus, they are missed, having a huge impact on the bottom line of many businesses, including in Surrey, where they border the United States. Yes, we do have some businesses that are suffering, but we need to ensure that that border remains closed until there is a real reduction in the United States. As to when the border will reopen to all travellers, the province is still hoping it will stay closed at least through the summer, if not longer. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And tomorrow, our Richard Zussman will be holding a Facebook Live with John Horgan. The Premier will be taking your questions starting at 12.30 on Friday. All right, let's talk about those COVID numbers. There have been no new deaths from COVID-19 in B.C., but another uptick in the number of cases today. We have 20 new infections for a total of 3,028. Thankfully, as mentioned, no new deaths, so that number remains at 186. 17 people are in hospital, four of them in ICU. 2,667 people are considered recovered, leaving us with 175 active cases. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. Keith, the vulnerability of care homes is still an ongoing concern. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it came up on the, in the news conference with Dr. Bonnie Henry and Adrian Dix today. Uh, recently, of course, just announcing new rules to allow uh, care homes to be opened up for access for family members. But a reminder today, again, we have an ongoing situation at one of the care homes that's quite concerning. So take a look at these numbers. This is where BC's pandemic has really played out tragically. Holy Family continuing uh, outbreak there. Seven infections, including residents and staff, 12 deaths there. Lynn Valley, where it all began at the beginning, 79 cases there, 20 deaths and the list goes on. Harold Park.
people died there. Royal Arch Masonic, 12 people died there. Langley Lodge, of course, uh, had 25 deaths there as well. Very tragic and a reminder of how sensitive this issue is and why we have to be very careful as we open up those homes, a point made by Dr. Bonnie Henry today. It is important for us all to remember that it is keeping people safe in those communal living environments that is incredibly important. And what this pandemic has absolutely exposed is the vulnerabilities in many of our long-term care homes. So we know, for example, that uh, there's been challenges in staffing, there's been challenges in housekeeping, there's been challenges around aging infrastructure, and all of those can compound depending on the facility. So Health Minister Adrian Dix today announced that so far 61 of our long-term care and assisted living facilities have filed safety plans, so they're close to opening up to visitors, but we still got uh, well more than 400 more to go. Now, no more briefings from Dr. Bonnie Henry and Adrian Dix until Tuesday, because if you can believe it, Chris and Sophie, Dr. Bonnie Henry is actually taking the weekend off, and that includes Friday and Monday. Hard to think of anyone who deserves it more <laughs> at the moment. Thanks very much, exactly. Keith. A culture clash emerges on the Sunshine Coast, a threat to cut down totem poles left at a school, and the controversy that triggered it in just over a minute. Friends and neighbors cheer for a local doctor whose recovery from COVID took a lot longer than you might expect. His story coming up later. And the swimming bear of Burrard Inlet, where it ended up later on the news hour. Right now, though, RCMP on the Sunshine Coast are investigating racially motivated vandalism aimed at Indigenous people. And one example includes a threat left at a school. As Nadia Stewart reports, the entire community is shocked by the vandalism, which police are investigating as a hate crime. This is the best project I had in my life working with kids. Arnold Jones still cannot understand why anyone would want to cut down these two totem poles. He, along with students from Pender Harbor Secondary School, carved them in 2017. They're now the focus of a hate crime investigation. Don't have guts enough to come in front of me and tell me they hate me or, or whatever. I was brought up by my grandmother. She told me, ignore the ignorant and they leave you alone. But it was hard to ignore this banner, hung between the two totem poles overnight between July 6th and 7th, threatening to cut them down should statues of Lord Stanley, Sir John A. Macdonald and George Gibson be torn down, part of a worldwide movement against institutionalized racism and colonial narratives. But these poles belong to the students here. It was deeply concerning for that. It's the, just the way the message is conveyed is very much the opposite of how we work with our students. And according to Sunshine Coast RCMP, this incident is connected to other similar acts of anti-Indigenous racism. We actually did find that there were two uh, multi-language signs on the highway that have been defaced, um, with one saying, conquer it across it. We are also investigating that subsequently with the other file. Police believe everything happened on the same night, possibly by the same individual who was caught on surveillance camera at the school. Jones says in a small community, it should only be a matter of time before the person responsible is identified. They got his picture. They know who he is. Police say they've already received some tips. They're appealing for more. Nadia Stewart, Global News, Pender Harbor. 
We're learning more about the investigation into disturbing reports of a racist game being played by hospital emergency room staff. Former judge and provincial children's advocate Mary Ellen Terpella Fond laying out details on the scale and the focus of her investigation and what her team has already learned. Brad McLeod reports. This investigation is not trying to determine whether racism exists in BC's healthcare system. It does exist. Surrounded by knowledge keepers from several Indigenous communities, the province's go-to investigator, Mary Ellen Terpella Fond, says she and her small team have jumped right into getting details. On the specific allegations around the game that was played in the emergency rooms, which has allegedly involved staff guessing the blood alcohol levels of Indigenous patients. It's just one type of treatment many First Nations people have experienced. Like this woman, alleging her doctor asked inappropriate sexual questions at the hospital. I left. And all too often, too many people do that. And then they go home and they die or they suffer in silence. So the former judge and children's advocate asking Indigenous people to anonymously share their stories through an online survey by email or telephone, assuring them there will be no consequences, but saying if she finds criminal behavior or violations of medical standards, I will report that to the appropriate authorities. Mary Ellen Terpelafond is a very, very strong, a very tough investigator. She is not going to uh, kind of uh, take a look at this and let this go. She will definitely uh, go to as far as she can to get answers. Terpel Lafond is working under the assumption her findings won't be shelved, like so many other reports before it. When the health minister was asked about it... This report will be acted on. People have until July 30th to fill out the online survey. A preliminary report is expected in the next couple months, and a final public report no later than the end of December. Our investigation will no doubt uh, uncover some difficult truths. But ultimately, it's about building up the confidence for Indigenous people in BC's healthcare system. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. Still ahead, home values hold steady. How the Vancouver real estate market seems immune to the COVID crisis. And no vacancy. How summer staycations are keeping BC hotels full. It's busy go for the Mary Hill Bypass because of this stall that is finally being loaded onto a tow truck. Delays eastbound before Shaughnessy and then the lineup goes all the way back to United Boulevard just leaving Highway 1 this afternoon. Very heavy volume. Sussex Insurance are your auto plan experts for insurance renewals, changes or other ICBC transactions all from home. Just visit sussexinsurance.com. In Global 1 above the Mary Hill Bypass, I'm Amber Belzer. We've got a closer look tonight at how the pandemic is impacting our housing market. According to the latest numbers from Royal LePage, prices are holding. But for many in the industry, it's still too soon to cheer. Ted Chernecki reports. Here's something we haven't seen a lot of in recent months, a sold sign. And there hasn't been nearly enough of these, a new listing. According to a new survey by Royal LePage, that's changing. Sales are picking up and prices in the Lower Mainland are holding, if not rising, in some areas. We're coming back from some pretty low numbers in, at the end of March, but it uh, looks like it's sprung back really nicely. According to Royal LePage's own numbers, real estate in the city of Vancouver posted a healthy year-over-year gain in the second quarter. The median price to a two-story home rose 7.6% year-over-year to 2.08%. $8 million. 
During the same period, the median price of a bungalow rose 2.6% year-over-year to $1.435 million, while the median price of a condominium decreased 2% to 738128 As a general rule, though, it is much too soon to draw any sort of conclusions. I mean, we're really only three or four months into a, a global pandemic, which has seen you know, the unemployment rate uh, skyrocket to levels we haven't seen in, in you know, over 50 years. Royal LePage's numbers are in sharp contrast to CMHC's forecast of a 9 to 18 percent drop in prices in Greater Vancouver over the next two years. We don't necessarily share their opinion on that. Most of the job losses that we're talking about uh, didn't occur within the people, you know, that own homes in Canada. So um, we don't think that that's going to have that big of, a, of an impact. Demand for detached housing is strongest as realtors are seeing buyers wanting out of crowded housing and into a place with more room, realizing they may be able to continue to work from home in the future. I think what remains to be seen here moving forward is if inventory and new listings begin to normalize, you know, is the demand going to be there to meet it? And I think that's the real question, but we probably won't have an answer to that question for at least another four or five months minimum. Ted Chernecki, Global News. A few months ago, it was a very dire situation for the Okanagan's hotel industry. And while much of the province is still struggling, many hotels in the valley are rebounding very quickly, even exceeding expectations. Jules Knox reports. In all honesty, uh, the recovery has been way quicker than what we ever anticipated. Business is back. Okanagan hotel rooms emptied by the coronavirus pandemic, now filling up with guests. I feel exuberant actually because things have turned around just like overnight basically. Many hotels saying they're full or nearly full. As soon as they announced phase three, the phone's been ringing off the hook. BC Hotel Association spokesperson Ingrid Jarrett says on weekends, vacancy rates throughout the Okanagan are sitting at roughly 80%. People are traveling for longer periods, so historically they may have come for three or four days, and now they've been cooped up for three months, and they're actually saying, let's take that 10-day vacation. Anecdotally, the Okanagan Valley has bounced back uh, a lot quicker than other areas, but I would say that's a testament to our location, our welcoming people, and the facilities that we have here. Like much of society, hotels have brought in safety measures like plexiglass, floor markings, and frequent sanitizing for high-touch areas. Jarrett also recommending hotels leave three hours between checkout and check-in for guest safety. And that really is based on an average of the air exchange within a hotel unit. So if you have windows that can open, that exchange will happen much more quickly. Some hotels struggling to find staff. So we could use five to ten people today. The BC Hotel Association believes that's partly because of the financial support CERB offers to people who might otherwise be looking for work. We have some hotels that are experiencing very high occupancy and they literally are operating on 50% of the employees that they would have before. Hotels relieved to rehire previously laid off workers and happy the doors are again open. We're glad to say that it has rebounded beyond expectations. Jules Knox, Global News, Kelowna. For many of us, a swim in the chilly Burrard Inlet would be unbearable. But not for this black bear. A viewer sent in this video of a bear going for a dip just off her dock in Alderside. She says it swam all the way across after cutting through her neighbor's yard to reach the water, proving that anything is possible. 
plausible. I see what you, see what you did there. I don't, maybe that was a pun too far. Just maybe. one. <laughs> All right, we'll take a short break. Still ahead, the Prime Minister faces another ethics probe. How his connection to the feel-good we movement has gone bad. Also tonight, Donald Trump stung by a Supreme Court decision over his tax returns. That's next. As the afternoon commute moves on at the Goldeners Bridge here, we're no longer seeing delays despite a stall still being here blocking the northbound right lane mid-span as you make way from Langley into Maple Ridge. Sussex Insurance are your Autoplan experts for insurance renewals, changes, or other ICBC transactions all from home. Just visit sussexinsurance.com. At the Goldeners Bridge and Global One, I'm Amber Belzer. Global News has exclusive new details about an appearance by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau last fall that sparked questions about his security. It happened during a campaign stop in Mississauga. People were surprised to see Trudeau wearing a bulletproof vest under his shirt and heavily armed RCMP officers in the crowd. Global News has learned the added security was the result of a tip that someone with a gun had been spotted waiting to get into the event. RCMP spent 90 minutes searching the crowd but found nothing. The Prime Minister was briefed and decided to carry on with the event. Justin Trudeau's judgment is once again under scrutiny tonight over his connection to the WE charity being rewarded a fat government contract. The charity engages young people in positive causes, but it also paid members of Trudeau's family hundreds of thousands of dollars for various appearances. David Aiken shows us how the controversy began. Well, this has turned into a mess for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau for the students who were depending on this program. And of course, it uh, doesn't look too good either for the WE organization. Let's talk about the WE charity for a second. This is a, a global charity created by Mark and Craig Kielberger, raises about $70 million a year. And uh, the Trudeaus, both Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his wife Sophie, have had a long association with this particular charity. The Trudeaus have appeared at lots of uh, events as speakers around the world uh, for the WE charity. And this has very much helped uh, Justin Trudeau and his image as a politician for young people. Sophie Gregoire Trudeau has also received honorariums for speaking engagements. And of course, now we're learning that Justin Trudeau's mother received tens of thousands of dollars in speaking fees from the WE organization. And Justin Trudeau's brother, Alexandra, also received uh, several thousand dollars in speaking fees for the organization. Where does this all come together? A few weeks ago, the federal government was looking to find somebody who could run a $900 million program that would match up Canadian students with volunteer organizations. And it would send that money out to those students for doing some work uh, in the charitable sector. When it came time to figure out who was gonna do that, the Trudeau government gave that contract to the WE organization to hand out $900 million. WE was gonna keep about $20 million for its work through the contract. This contract was sole sourced, and as we learned yesterday from the Prime Minister himself, he did not recuse himself when discussion came up at Cabinet to award this contract. Now, last Friday, this deal got too hot to handle for WE, and WE withdrew from the deal, so they no longer have this contract. But in the meantime, there's tremendous confusion among the 35,000 students who are looking forward to taking advantage of this program. Right now, there's jobs being posted on the federal government's website that don't exist. Federal government bureaucrats are scrambling to design a program and deliver it themselves. And of course, that begs the question, why didn't the government just deliver the program itself in the first place? Why did the WE organization have to get involved at all? And that brings us back to the judgment 
of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who now faces his third investigation by Parliament's Ethics Commissioner. David Aiken, Global News, Ottawa. Ethics are at the center of a ruling for Donald Trump that's both a loss and a win in the U.S. Supreme Court for the president. In a pair of decisions, the court ruled the president cannot prevent a New York prosecutor from seeing his financial records, but it also blocked Congress from seeing them for now. In two landmark rulings, the Supreme Court said President Trump cannot claim he's untouchable when faced with demands for his personal documents. But the ruling sent the cases back to lower courts, ending any chance the Trump documents would become public before the election. In the first case, the court said a New York prosecutor, Cy Vance, can pursue a subpoena for Trump's taxes, investigating whether he broke state laws by reimbursing former aide Michael Cohen for hush money paid to Stormy Daniels during the campaign. By a vote of 7-2, to two, with both Trump appointees joining the majority opinion by Chief Justice John Roberts, the court said, quote, not even the president is categorically above the common duty to produce evidence in a criminal proceeding. The president can go back to court and attack the subpoena as overly broad as anybody could, though that's a long shot. But even if Vance does get Trump's taxes, grand jury secrecy rules will prevent making them public. In the other case, by the same 7-2 lineup, the court said the president is not beyond the reach of subpoenas from House Democrats either, but rejected their claims of virtually unlimited subpoena power. The court said there has to be a balance between the two political branches to keep Congress from abusing the process and said congressional subpoenas must serve a valid legislative purpose. The upshot is that House Democrats probably are going to have to ask for less material, narrower financial records than they have so far. Both decisions are defeats for President Trump's claim that he was legally off limits. The court said presidents since Thomas Jefferson have responded to subpoenas in criminal cases because the public has the right to everyone's evidence. Stargazers in many parts of the world are being treated to the sight of a blazing comet this week as it travels close to the sun. Time-lapse video shows the comet in the early morning skies over France, dubbed as Neowise by astronomers. The comet was first discovered in March and is one of the brightest objects to pass the Earth in decades. The glowing object with a long tail was also captured on time-lapse video over the ocean on the northern coast of Ireland. Comet observers also report seeing it in Italy and the United States. NASA says sky watchers can look out for Neowise in the mornings until July 13th and then after sunset until mid-August. Don't stay up too late, though, because in Health Matters tonight, if you're a teen or you have one in your home, you might want to invest in some blackout curtains. A large study suggests light pollution affects sleep, which in turn can affect a teen's mental health. Researchers looked at three years of mental health and sleep pattern data from more than 10,000 teenagers. They found those who lived in areas with high levels of outdoor artificial light at night slept less. They were also more likely to have a mood or anxiety disorder. Straight ahead, steering the film business in the right direction. So you're just gonna compensate a little bit to the left on your way in. The fast and furious introduction to stunt driving for women of color, now in high demand in Hollywood North. Also tonight, the happy homecoming for a COVID patient stuck in hospital for over 100 days. Give a shout out, tag posts with hashtag BC Healthcare Heroes or email bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca to share with Global News. BC Healthcare Heroes in partnership with Fortis BC, caring for the BC communities where we live and work.
BC's stunt community is helping fill a big gap in Hollywood North, the shortage of black and indigenous women working behind the scenes in the movie industry. And the best way to do it is with the thrill of roaring engines and smoking tires. Paul Johnson shows us the fast and furious event helping drive more women into the stunt world. Keep your eyes on the pot on the whole way and just drive it in. Make it end right here. Instruction in the exotic discipline of stunt driving for the screen. Parts of the Mission Raceway were converted into a training course Thursday for aspiring stunt drivers. Here we go in three, two, one, action. Rochelle Okoye is one of them. I usually play like the superheroes and on set and fly off buildings. What we're doing is super basic. Already an accomplished stunt woman, Okoye is getting her first lessons in stunt driving. I'm loving it. It's super exciting. But there's a special goal here. All of the students here are women of color. After leaders in Vancouver's film and stunt community decided to do something about a deficit in their talent pool. I also one time doubled Halle Berry. Um, on a motorcycle, but they just seen the bottom of my of my calves and I wore heels. Gaston Morrison's a veteran Vancouver stunt driver. When a show needed a stunt double for a black woman, Gaston would often do the job in a wig. Not ideal. Now there's a lot more shows coming out where there are black women as a lead. For this time passenger, I need you to carry your speed farther. But training to be a stunt driver is expensive. So this program gives women of color their first few hours at a fraction of the cost. For this event, we try to bring everybody out and give them a taste. There's Zandara Kennedy behind the wheel. She's a longtime stunt driver who had to prove herself against men. She can tell you how hard it is to break in. A lot of women wouldn't develop those skills because they would never get a chance. If only a handful of these women end up working, that would amount to a big change in the business that started here, an intro to stunt driving. I was a bit anxious to begin with, but I got past it. I practiced a couple more times and I got the nerves out and settled into it and it was okay. In Mission, Paul Johnson, Global News. <laughs> that is basically how our producer, Marsha Gabriel, parks Drives. every day. Well, parks, yeah. Rolls right into the Global <laughs> BC parking lot. Perfectly, right in between the lines. <laughs> All right, uh, let's check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon now for a look at the weather forecast. And you've got some good news for us, Christy. I sure do. My lucky bring back the sun shirt is working, Sophie. We're certainly seeing it across western sections and that will continue to be the case as we head into tomorrow. Quick look at the current conditions because we still do have a number of showers and thunderstorms in through the province right now. Lightning strikes through the caribou and down through the south. I want you to remember as we transition into the next couple of weeks, we will likely see more sunshine. That means drier conditions. Be really careful outside. We only have two uh, forest fires right now and all, both of them are perfect. Made. Now, tomorrow morning, rain moving on to the north and central coast, but most other regions will see dry weather. We may see a bit of cloud here in the, the metro Vancouver region in the morning, but lots of sunshine for your Friday afternoon, and that's the case right across southern BC. So it's not until late Saturday that this system will push into our region. So the chance of rain for metro Vancouver, staying low. Enjoy the sunshine for your Friday, everyone, and we'll see that sunshine through the early part of Saturday before the chance of showers wraps up once again. 
weekend. So here's your forecast for your Friday. Wet weather across the north and central coast. Just a chance of showers for Prince George in the evening tomorrow, but sunshine and heat all across southern BC. Enjoy your Friday, everyone. As I mentioned, though, as we head towards the weekend, Saturday starts off sunny, but we are expecting showers by the evening hours, and that takes us into our Sunday morning. But it looks like it's bookended by some sunshine. So Sunday, back to sunshine, and it looks like next week is shaping up pretty nicely. There's your central windows weather window. This is a funny one from Ryan Dyke. Uh, what I've got toilet paper, checking out the news, his mask, and of course the flood. Very uh, you know, current, I guess you could say, Ryan. Thanks for that one. And before I let you go, everyone, I need to tell you about something pretty special that's happening right now. Uh, the Ronald McDonald House is celebrating six years since they moved on to their new location uh, right on the grounds of BC Children's Hospital. Now, because of COVID-19, the families are actually, uh, they're having a hard time celebrating the location. They had to get creative. So they've decorated their doors with balloons and streamers and inspirational signs. And this year, it has has been a challenging one for the organization and they could really use your support uh, now more than ever. So all this month, Ron McDonald House is asking you to please make a $10 donation by texting HOME to 45678. And the goal is to raise $75,000, which is equivalent to about 600 nights of support for the families that so desperately need it. And uh, this is a great organization. I really hope that you're able to help them out. Sure. Easy. So simple, I already did it just while she was saying that. <laughs> it's all good. All right, let's check in with Squire, see what's coming up. Squire? Okay, I'm going to show you one of the strangest finishes I've ever seen in a horse race. Also, Bo Horvat is back working with the Canucks back in town just over a week after becoming a father for the first time. Really, Hal and I are really happy to have a little man in our life, and um, you know, he's been a blessing for us for sure. Well, the baby talk is nice, but Bo will talk about one of his line mates when we come back. Also, home at last for a doctor who spent more than 100 days in hospital battling COVID-19. Golf is a great way to pass the time these days, and uh, Squire's got an update on some of our best. Yes, in fact, all three uh, BC boys had great first rounds at the latest PGA event, the Workday Charity Open. Uh, Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin Second at minus six, his buddy from Abbotsford, Nick Taylor, minus five, tied for third. Merritt's Roger Sloan tied for seventh, minus four. Hadwin was fourth in last week's event, and this is Taylor's first event since March, but he was keeping his game sharp on the Vancouver Golf Tour, and here he is right here. These guys didn't get any TV time. This was it. This Nick Taylor shot, he did have one eagle today, so he and Hadwin are one shot apart. All right, there is the... Uh, Scoreboard, and as we can see, lots of Canadian flags are under par after one round. Well, now that the NHL restart is looking more and more like a reality, let's talk about the Canucks and the Wild. Those are the two teams that are going to play each other in the play-in round. The way Tyler Toffoli finished off the season for the Canucks, the first line will likely be him, JT Miller, and Elias Pettersson. So the second line could be Bo Horvat between... Tanner Pearson and Brock Besser. Now, Besser is someone who could make a big difference if he finds his scoring touch. He didn't have it in the last 12 games before the uh, pandemic pause. But Bo thinks the old Besser could return against the Wild. I think Brock, is, he definitely hasn't hit his ceiling. I think he's got a lot, uh, a lot more to prove, and I think he knows that too. Um, and I, I don't think we've seen the best of Brock Besser. And 
Uh, but obviously, if we get the chance to play with him, then I think he's going to come to play in the playoffs. He scores big goals, and he's uh, he's played in the playoffs before in in, uh, in college. And um, no, I think he like he wants to prove to everybody too that he uh, um, know that he can have a great playoffs. And and I think me, him, and, and Pierce, if that's that's going to be the line, um, can really do some damage. I'm thinking this MLS tournament could be won through attrition. A team with the least six guy, sick guys makes that wins. Uh, today, Nashville pulled out because they had too many players with COVID-19. That means two teams are out because of the virus. The other is Dallas. So they moved Chicago into Vancouver's group. Dallas was supposed to be there. Chicago's now in with Vancouver, Seattle, and San Jose. The Caps won't play Chicago until July 23rd. But that game will be 6 a.m. our time in the morning. I guess a.m. is the morning. However, Axel Schuster is glad that Chicago agreed to switch groups. We have to, to now um, prepare for a new team and have to now to, to go into, into records and, and, and uh, in scouting reports about Chicago. But Chicago has to, to do that with three teams. So I have really to say thank you to this team because uh, I think it's the biggest change for them in preparation on, to the tournament. Okay, that thing I said about the horse race, I'll show it tomorrow. Oh. I'll show it tomorrow. Okay. Out of time. All right. It'll still be worth it. Okay, good. Can't wait. It's good tease. Thanks, Squire. Let's check in with Jay Durant for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? I've seen it. It is worth it, definitely. <laughs> uh, Vancouver Council is holding a public hearing tonight on a contentious development proposed for the Fairview Slopes neighborhood. Opponents say the 28-story tower at Broadway and Birch is too tall for the neighborhood and should remain at the 16 stories that's already been approved. The developer says it would provide much-needed housing. Well, that story and a lot more starting at 11 p.m. sharp tonight, Sophie and Chris. I will be there. Thank you. All right. When we come back, our salute to our healthcare heroes and one who had to spend 100 days in hospital when he got COVID. That's next. Coming up to 7 o'clock, time to recognize now another one of our B.C. healthcare heroes working hard on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. And tonight's nomination comes from Kathy Emmons, who wanted to say thank you to her sister-in-law, Kelly Emmons. Kelly has been a registered nurse for 15 years as an OR, as an O-R-O-B, sorry, as an O-B-R-N at Abbotsford Hospital. She's been working full-time throughout the pandemic. And while sometimes she may be anxious to go to work and then apprehensive about going home, she continues to show up and deliver in a supportive and calming way, helping mums-to-be and her family. After her 12-hour shift, she comes home undressing at the front door, throwing her clothes into the washer before reuniting with her husband and three children. Kelly, your sister-in-law, Kathy, says you are her healthcare hero and the family hero, and we thank you so much for continuing to show up for BC during these very trying times. And again, if you have a healthcare hero you'd like to see recognized, send an email to bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca. Include a few pictures and a story about why they're your hero, and we may feature them next. Thank you so much. Now an emotional homecoming played out in West Vancouver just a short time ago. That's right. After contracting COVID-19 and spending more than 100 days in hospital, Dr. Greg Phillips has now been given a clean bill of health and finally got to go home to his husband and a socially distant group of friends and well-wishers. Aaron MacArthur reports. It's a little early for the 7 o'clock cheer, 
But this ovation is for one healthcare worker, Greg Phillips. The North Vancouver doctor was diagnosed with COVID more than three months ago. Thursday was his first day home. Uh, I, if you told me on day one that uh, it was going to be 105 days, I, I don't think I could have done it. Friends, family and patients of the physician crowded, so to speak, on the street in front of his home. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're his husband organized the rally. So it's been a very, very long journey, but after 105 days, he's finally home to us. So thank you guys all for coming out. It's been <laughs> amazing. To, yeah. It's good to be home. He says he hates me. The virus has affected Phillips' lungs, kidneys, heart, brain. He has paralyzed vocal cords on one side of his throat. It was touch and go. Um, it's been a long recovery. He's lost so much weight. It, it's overwhelming, but yeah, we're, we're all very, very relieved to have him home. A recovery made easier by a partner, a social circle, and a community that loves him dearly. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Wow. So glad he's out, but again, that's a reminder of why we do need to be vigilant going forward yeah. about keeping the infections down. Don't get complacent. Mm -hmm. All right. Final word on the weather from Christy and her lucky shirt. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm crying a little bit from that. That was a great story. Aww. Thanks so much, Aaron. Uh, yes, yeah, so we're, see <laughs> we're seeing some sunshine now, but we still do have a very slight chance of showers overnight. But generally, sunshine on the way for you tomorrow, everyone. We'll start off with some sunshine Saturday morning, but by Saturday evening, we'll likely see a few showers once again. Christy, it's all right. I'm glad it's not me crying this time. Don't Thanks. forget to text 45678. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Easy to do. Have a great night, everybody.